This is a Media Lab podcast. Are you honestly Donald Duckin' it right now? Well, you know, I just need the fresh breeze. Gotta dry this out somehow. I, I, I don't know. We've established that we have a very breezy spaceship that's going on here, but there's just the two of us, man. Like, come on. At least with a sheet up or something. I asked the machine for a bidet, but so this is not my fault. The sailor cap is a nice touch, though. I will say that. On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone. Especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm, yeah, Dave. And I'm the Machine. This is going to be a probably a very short podcast. Don't know why I'm saying that, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be super short. Uh, this is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow, it used its powers to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. The Machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although... We do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Million Dollar Duck. This gal, this gal, and this gal are one and the same person. She's a bright new comedy star, Sandy Duncan. Bad checks. Uh, uh, well, you printed them. This guy, this guy... This guy and this guy are also one and the same person. He's funny man Dean Jones. <sighs> and these two deserve each other. Diddy, you're not listening to me. We're going to be rich beyond our wildest dreams. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons, Green Girl YYC and It's a Conspiracy Podcast. You know, I gave a heavy sigh last week, Dave, when I said that this is the movie we're going to watch. The only thing I know about this is that it is one of three films. I think I said two last week, but it's one of three films that Gene Siskel walked out of during his professional time as a critic. So this does not fill me with a lot of confidence that I am going to enjoy this film very much. That being said, Dave, what's your history of watching films with ducks in them? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I know that we haven't quote unquote watched this movie yet, but... Uh... I'm already in the dumps. I had hoped, honestly, that this was going to be a uh, origin story of Scrooge McDuck. Mm -hmm. I would oh, have enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what other duck movies. Like, I don't, I don't actually remember watching Howard the Duck. Oh, I have. It is also awful. Well, again, we haven't watched this, but it's also an awful, <laughs> awful movie. Maybe it's the thing with ducks. Maybe uh, they just can't make a good movie with a duck in it. I'm trying to think if if there was a Donald Duck or a or a Ducktales movie. Yeah, though there is a DuckTales movie. Uh, can't be good. There, it, I don't know. It, it's it's fine. It's a it's basically a continuation of the cartoon. I've seen a bunch of Donald Duck shorts. I'm a big fan of Donald Duck, I have to say. Like, I just like his whole personality. You would. <laughs> Maybe I just like him being able to freak out when he wants to. He's very, like, id. His id is on display. The, um, the old so 40s cartoons... I don't know if you've gone back or ever saw those Disney films that they made in the 40s, which are bonkers crazy why they made them that way. But I'm talking like the three Capilleros, Make oh, My yeah. Music, uh, yeah. Fun and Francy Free. Like most of them have like a Donald Dunk short within there. None of them are really all that good, I don't think. There's elements that, that, are, that are fine, but most of them are like, this is kind of a waste of time. But I like Donald, the Donald Duck shorts. Uh, quite a bit. I, I would like to make a request that we only talk about Donald Duck for this episode and we do not proceed <laughs> to spend any time. No, that is not what the machine has asked us Shit. to do. Correct. I will self-destruct if that happens. So again, I'm assuming that you have no familiarity no. with this film. No, that's all I got. No, that's, that's all you have. I am excited, question mark, Gross. about delving into this movie to see if it's as bad as what people are saying. So let's find out, Dave. We're going to go thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about the movie Million Dollar Duck. Quack. 
Dave, how much should we stall before we get into talking about Million Dollar Duck? As much as possible. Is there yeah. a way for you to press stop right now? <laughs> well, don't tell, the, don't tell the audience to push stop. We want you to keep listening for statistic reasons. Maybe don't watch the movie. That's a little, that's a little foreshadowing to our thoughts on, oh, sorry, on Million Dollar We Duck. haven't watched it yet. But we haven't watched it yet, if, of course. But If we had... I would feel mm -hmm. very unhappy that we are about to. Well, just so people do know, Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Talking about you know podcasts and supporting local, I get to talk to you about Pod Power this week. You know, with Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. And this episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to Book Women. Uh, Book Women is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen and find out more at bookwomenpodcast.ca. And again, I'm not telling you how to live your life, but that would be a much better use of your time than watching this children's film from 1971. I, I, I don't... Uh, so, I mean, you can listen... We would prefer it if you listen to this episode as a warning. No, we haven't watched it As a yet. signal flare <laughs> to the danger you're about to get to. I, I'll say this. Listen to book women and like put us on mute or something like that. So we still get that listen time. That's true. We need your stats. <laughs> but just know it's, it's two, two middle-aged men yelling <laughs> about a children's film from 50 years ago. Uh, I mean, aren't, is, aren't, aren't you peaked now, people that are listening? You want to hear the rest of this episode. Duck that shits out gold nuggets. This 40-minute episode, probably. I can't remember <laughs> how long we recorded for it. Uh, all right, well, why don't we further delay talking about this mm -hmm. piece of crap movie coming up by talking about one of our great sponsors, which is, uh, what is it today? Oh, it's Rumi. With warmer weather comes yard work. Yuck. Ugh. <laughs> and lots of it. Prune your trees and shrubs. Clean your eaves troughs. Eaves troughs. Yeah, that's right. Replace those drafty windows you noticed over the winter. That's a pretty hard job. We've had to get our window replaced uh -huh. here. It's don't it's don't replace the window in in the spaceship though, because then we get sucked out into the void of of space, and that's not great. No, not not ideal. A lot of movies depict that now, where you freeze. It's depressing. Mm -hmm. Or you can call Rumi to take care of all your outdoor and indoor spring home maintenance while you fire up the barbecue and relax. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, or call 1-844-777-7864 and let Rumi's trusted local experts take care of your yard so all you have to do is enjoy it. Unlike watching this movie. I wonder what barbecue duck tastes like. You know, feathers on or feathers off? Oh, well, feathers off. Come on, Dave. I'm not a monster. So why don't you just take these uh, negatives and put them on the barbecue? How does this movie <laughs> maybe, even exist? Maybe that's... <laughs> just take this out of the Disney vault and whoops, <laughs> right onto the barbecue. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 oh, damn it. <laughs> da da dang it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not Dean Jones. No. You know, in the background, Dave, we uh, don't normally admit to this, but... Uh, this took me three tries uh, to get through <laughs> the, the entire movie. I, I had to keep starting and stopping. I siskel it. I uh, I think at the I can't believe. It. I know you got up from the couch we were sitting on. You just walked away. You refused. Yeah, I think at thirty. The, the machine is going to give us some sort of punishment. I've heard in the future because <laughs> at, of this. At the thirty minute mark, I decided it was easier to leave it running as I walked around at the apartment at a condo at the uh, spaceship. I yep. came back about ten minutes later. Took a peek and uh, decided to scrub about 30 more minutes. And I think I saw something with a ladder and a building. And then I scrubbed to the end, there's a court. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. 
I have watched all 87 minutes of this film. Why? I say. Why do you I've hate all? You should love yourself minute. more than that. Because guy. if I'm going to talk critically about a movie, Dave, I have to have specifics. I have yeah. to bring the receipts of like, this is why this movie is bad. Yeah. And this is a bad movie. I'm not going to make any mistakes. <laughs> about it. This is a stupid, bad movie that should not have been made. And I'm so angry because they have great talent in this movie. Like, I'm going to talk about some of the actors that are a part of this, and they're right. great talent. And you would not know that by watching this movie. That's such a squandering. This is the one time I never thought I would say this. I wish that Disney had what Netflix has, where I could watch this at two times speed. Mm. <laughs> at the very least, I would get, I've gotten through this in 45 minutes instead of wasting an hour and a half of my life. Well, I did. I just scrubbed to the end. Well, you didn't see the whole thing, though, Dave. You didn't <laughs> see the whole thing. Yeah, because I, I do have some sense of self-preservation and dignity left. <laughs> I know it doesn't seem like it, but uh, I value I no my dignity. life. Dave, why don't you rip into this? It's been a while since this has happened. Going to both kind of rip into a film. So if that's not your thing, I, I get it because I try and stay positive on the show. But I really hated this movie quite a bit. So Dave, why don't you rip off the band-aid of your <laughs> review here and just be like, what, what, what is it about this movie that aggravated you so? Well, I mean, all, all of it, which is too much of a bludgeon. I think that from the get-go, well, no, I, I'll say this. When the title sequence opens... You mm -hmm. hold out hope because there's something stupid and silly about those classic 60s animated uh, intro sequences. So there's this stupid duck. He's not even lining up the eggs in a like in a sense in a in an order that makes sense. They're just random. I, I couldn't even understand what was going on with that duck. But I thought you know maybe this one maybe this is going to be one of those lighthearted Disney comedies where I don't have to think mm -hmm. too much. And then it starts and everything sucks. It's shot like a crappy TV show. All the characters yes. don't make any sense. The woman is like, I mean, you want to hate a gender? You write this character. She's not a human being. It's, it's disgusting. Well, I, I don't think any of them are human beings in That's this movie. That's fair. But... Um, and then the, the story, I mean, it's not a story, but the concept, whoever came up with this, uh, hopefully never got work again. Cause, oh, they did. <laughs> I'll talk about them. They did. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, from the get-go, it's a grind. The The kid in it is so fucking annoying. Like Dave does hate children. That's been well established. There's no saving grace. There's a random, weird-looking, almost like a, yeah, the lawyer friend doesn't, there's kids that drive up in a dune buggy on the street. Like, yeah. well, it's the, just the throwing. Teenagers, yeah. They're teenagers that look like they're pushing 30 years old, but I mean. <laughs> Like, even though, like, they're, they're trying to be hippies. Like, they're trying to make jokes about, like, the hippie movement with those characters. And it's oh, like, the, A, the kids don't get that. And B, like, why? why? Why are they even in this film? You know what it felt like? I felt like I was sitting down and someone was throwing duck shit at my face to see how long I could last. That was me. That was me <laughs> doing that. Uh, this is why I kind of want to try and revisit some of those older disney live action it's like because am i just not remembering correctly and was like the love bug and um there's another big one from around this time that's like were they this bad too am i just not remembering them being this awful oh, I, <laughs> and it, or is this like a completely uh, a unique piece of awfulness that the disney studio released well let me ask you this question kyle what is the line between camp and crap well, you have to flip a couple letters. So, um, well, see, the thing is, I think we, you especially, have misused the the term camp uh, on this <laughs> podcast even before, because camp is like the heightened depiction of something that like either we don't talk about or some like part of society that we don't discuss very often, and that's true to an extent because when you say that this feels like a bad TV show. A, there's reason for that that we'll get to in a moment. But B, I have watched TV shows from the late 60s and early 70s, and I don't think they're this bad. Yes. <laughs> so some of them don't hold up. I'm not saying that every show from that time period holds up. But like the this does feel like the worst example of a 1960s TV show where it's like, you said something that is meant to be funny, but I don't think it's funny. Like there's nothing about this is humorous. Every single person in it is stupid. You know, we talked about it a long time ago in our Andromeda Strain episode, and I mentioned how one of my favorite things to see on film is smart people doing their jobs really well 
and sometimes still failing at what they're set out to do, but at least they're doing something that makes sense. In this movie, everybody's written to be the stupidest possible person in the entire world, and it drove me up the wall. It's like, you're a scientist. Stop leaving the goddamn window open. Like, I don't get it. You've lost this duck now four times in the same way. <laughs> it's like, this is so aggravating as a viewer to watch. And, and furthermore, this is not just like insulting me as an adult male's intelligence. I think you're insulting children's intelligence to oh, think man. that this would be something that they would want to watch. I got this feeling uh, before I turned it off <laughs> that if this had been an, a cartoon... And they had made it so zany and over the top. It would still be offensive in its core intent to show everybody as completely stupid. Yeah. But it may have worked better because I think that if you can animate a character to be particularly dumb, then kids will at least key into the fact that these are not supposed to be human beings. Right. And at least at that time when you have scenes like that pool scene that happens oh, early on in the film, which is just... just like, doesn't make any a, sense. A cho- a cho- yeah, like, why are you falling in? Like, it's so obvious that they're just like, oh, the director told me to jump into the pool now, so I'm jumping into the pool now. But, like, those scenes and there's, like, yeah, the madcapness of, like, the chase scene that happens at the end would work better in an animated film because at least you could then play with physics and like right. with how you're animating the the uh, the movement of the characters and stuff like that. But yeah, as, as a live action film, it's just like, ugh, like all these people do not feel like an actual real human being. I, I don't know what it is. There are movies like, I don't know, Nutty Professor or... Right. That's the other one I was trying to think of. Yeah, yeah. Love Bug. You can watch it again. You may not enjoy it, but it's not offensive. I mean, we, we in the PC culture, everything can be offensive. Like, there are always going to be depictions that are no longer acceptable. But there's still something charming about watching Jerry Lee Lewis act like a right. fool. Uh, this has no charm whatsoever. There's a no. single redeemable character, shot, prop, bit. Yeah. Nothing. At, at a certain point, like at about halfway to two thirds in, I started resenting the film. Like I really resenting. I'm like, you wasted so much money for this. I am so angry that the executives at Disney actually sat through this movie and was like, yeah, we're going to release this into theaters <laughs> and didn't like just burn the print right then and there and say like, sorry for your time, everyone. Uh, but you've wasted it. And we're just going to move on to our next project. Well, we did talk about how movie studios at this stage are basically throwing shit at a wall. Well, Walt Disney Studios especially, yes. Yeah. It's like, we don't know. Maybe Walt <laughs> Disney would have liked this. So this is the bone I have to pick with you now. Oh. Because we've been talking about personal. three children's films in a row. And so when you try to argue that Willy Wonka, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, not that I think that Bedknobs and Broomsticks holds up anymore... But when you try and say that those are like, those deserve like a one out of five, when I see stuff like this, like, no, like, this is the awfulness that you can get to in filmmaking in the 70s, where it's like, you cannot tell me that you think that those other films are on this level of bad. Yeah, I guess not. I think all of them, well, fine. I mean, what did I, Willy Wonka, I gave 1.5. I think you gave both of them one and a half. I think you gave yeah. them both one and a half. I, well, you know, spoiler alert, if we were allowed to give this negative numbers, if we were allowed to go into the If world, I was able yeah. to give it a zero, I yeah. might be able to give it a zero, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a zero at a minimum. It You brought up earlier, the negatives of this thing, I, maybe they're already burned, but it is on Disney+. Plus. They should burn yeah, the there. very existence of this film off the face of the earth. It should be stricken from history. How are other films not even available for streaming and this piece of shit can be... Like, do yeah. not search for this. It will fuck up your algorithm. I cannot imagine what shit's about to pop up in my life now that we've given this thing space uh so it's like yeah every donald duck short now that darn cat is going to be just every single time you go into disney plus oh my god so uh, to your point uh, so the other movies are not at this level i don't know if they're watchable but they're at least sure. produced in a way that uh, showed some creative intent and had you know some performances that were redeemable and based on some writing that may have at some point uh, been for the better good whether i got it or not this thing is just an affront to humanity and if anything this podcast if you listen to this is a dire dire warning do not do not for the sake of your sanity of your sanity find yeah. this film uh, sorry i called it a film find this piece of shit and put it on your tv because you will suffer 
So here's going to be the hard thing because you actually skipped through some of this. There's actually specific scenes I want to talk about Let's in detail All right. because it's like I was watching them. I was like, this can't possibly be something that you're putting into a movie. And yet it was there. Um, but we're going to do that here in a moment. I want to go through some of this backstory here first. So Million Dollar Duck or The Million Dollar Duck was initially released on June 30th, 1971. It is rated 5.9 on IMDb. It's pretty high. Uh, not for IMDb, it's not. That's basically saying it's the worst movie of all time. Like, literally, like, anything can get a six on IMDb. So the fact that it's under that, it's like, it's bad. 45 on Metacritic and on Rotten Tomatoes, with an asterisk here, from six critics, it has a 17%. It's a 1-7. And from 1,000 plus users, it has a 41%. We was higher so, than I thought. There's only a thousand people who left a review. So, I mean, it's pretty low. Can you imagine a thousand people have watched this thing? <laughs> Apparently. Um, boy, if you research this a bit, there are some defenders of this movie out, mm. out online, too. Always, it, is available on, it is available on DVD. No Blu-ray. Oh sorry. But it is available on DVD. You can buy or rent it on iTunes. You can rent it via YouTube. And you can stream it on Disney+. Plus. Because nobody has written about this movie since 1971, I have no idea what its budget was. But I do know that it eventually went on to make $5.1 million, which is $33 million with inflation. Just to put that, again, Sweet Sweet Backs made more money than this film. Good. And for good reason. Yeah. At least that film is trying for something. Yeah. <laughs> its plot description is, Professor Dooley takes home a duck from his research laboratory as a pet for his son, but soon finds out that it lays golden eggs. It stars Dean Jones as Professor Albert Dooley, Sandy Duncan as Katie Dooley, Lee Montgomery as Jimmy Dooley, Tony Roberts as Fred Hines, and Joe Flynn as Finley Hooper. I just I like saying they, those names. Yeah, I was hoping there were a couple more Dooleys. That tells you everything you need to know about this movie. I should let you know that I left a Dooley in the toilet. Anything you want to say about any of those actors? No, I refuse to look at any of this stuff. I, when I do the write-up, I will just write, do not watch this press next <laughs> just like just, just like uh all work and no play make jack a dull boy in the shiniest <laughs> over and over and over again i have a lot to say actually about these all actors right, so right. dean jones would actually be kind of the go-to person for disney live action in this time period he was in a bunch of them he was in a bunch of, he was in the first herbie film he was in this one uh that darn cat the computer wore tennis shoes um Nobody yeah, knows. Big, I, I love that you're naming these things, but no, these no were, humans. Yes, they do. No they, were on the, no. they were on Sunday night on the Disney, uh, Wonderful World of Disney. Anyways, that was him. But I know him the best. Dean Jones originated the character of Bobby in the musical Company a year before this. Oh the Stephen Sondheim written Company. You know, it's interesting because the, the, uh, of the lore of that. Uh, you can watch him, and I would really encourage you to do so. It is one of the best documentaries ever made. It's on the Criterion channel, and it's called Original Cast Album Company. It's an hour long, or just under an hour long, and you can see the making of the, of the cast album, and it's great. He's in it. He left the company, this like huge landmark musical theater production, one of the first times ever that like present day was being represented in a musical comedy about sex relationships, that sort of thing. He left after two months because he thought it might damage his career. And to that, I say, you went to star in The Million Dollar Duck. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is why I don't know who he is. Yeah, damage your career. Yeah, you started in stupid fucking Disney films for the next five years. Way to go. Give you a round of applause on those career decisions. Okay, Sandy Duncan. Because I watched every single sitcom growing up in like the late 80s into the early 90s, the best way that I know Sandy Duncan is that she took over for Valerie Harper in the sitcom Valerie. So Valerie starred Valerie Harper from as the, who was played Rhoda uh, in her own sitcom, but came originally from the Mary Tyler Moore show. There was uh, you know, fights with the producers and they killed Valerie off of the sitcom Valerie after the first season. And then they renamed the show The Hogan Family. And so Sandy Duncan came over and took over for the next like three to four seasons that that was on the air. The first uh, basic job of uh, Jason Bateman. So if you remember The Hogan Family, that was Sandy Duncan is who starred in that. So I know her, her stuff in there. And then 
Tony Roberts, uh, the friend slash the lawyer. Um, lawyer dude, was in 10 or so Woody Allen films. Like, he mm-hmm. was a, kind of a mainstay for, for quite a bit, but also has, like, a huge Broadway career, too. He was in a bunch of Broadway productions as well. Uh, but as far as film work goes, you would either know him from there, or I think he was a judge on Law & Order for a few seasons, too. Anyways, that's probably the two big things you'd know him from. There's actually some great talent that's in this cast that you would not know if you... <laughs> Here's the thing. Just so that I don't go this entire episode without saying it, and this will reference it. I'll reference it again in my rating. There's only one positive thing I'm going to say about this movie. Do you want to guess what my one positive thing is, Dave? That you got to press stop. That I got to press stop. No, <laughs> I actually think that whoever made the wardrobe for Sandy Duncan was phenomenal. I loved every outfit she was in. It didn't make sense at all throughout the entire film. It was like, oh, well, they were having fun because they're just like random hats and like yeah. bright and bold colors. Tossing like, that oh, cash cool. around at the uh, refineries, trading in gold yolks at the refineries. Uh, let's <laughs> let's do it. Let's let's keep going. Let's dig this hole. All right. I guess we just want to have a 20-minute episode. Okay. <laughs> this is written by Roswell Rogers. Sounds like a made-up name to me, but uh, it was written by Roswell Rogers with a story by Ted Key, directed by Vincent McAviti. So Ted Key, let's talk about him for a moment, was a cartoonist. That's mm. where he started. Like uh, Calvin and Hobbes, Far Side type cartoons, like that uh, type newspaper of Newspaper. Yeah, newspaper cartoonist. His most famous creation, which I think has kind of been lost to history, but his most famous cre- creation was something called Hazel. It was a single panel cartoon about this like sarcastic maid, but it ran in the weekly edition of the Saturday Evening Post from the early 40s up until 1969 when oh, wow. that magazine stopped making it. So over 20 years he was writing this cartoon. Uh, it would be adapted actually into a TV show in the 60s as well. He also lent his hand with some screenwriting. He must have liked animals, I guess, because the three scripts that are credited to him are this, Million Dollar Duck, and then after this came The Cat from Outer Space, and then Gus, which is about a donkey in a football game. He, he liked animals, I guess. <laughs> the but they were super funny. Yeah. <laughs> this entire story, of course, is inspired by Aesop's fable, the goose that laid the golden eggs. That's the basically jumping off point. Is it? That is, this story is, it that is going obvious? on. I, I, well, I mean, I come on. Was, they just looked in a, a toilet and they were like, you know, <laughs> that's a big turd. I'm going to turn that into a movie. Let's do goose. Let's do a goose. <laughs> so Roswell Rogers was brought on to flesh out the idea of a duck who lays golden eggs. He'd mainly worked on television, which I think, as we've said, is very obvious from this production because he did 53 episodes of Father Knows Best. He created the show Window on Main Street, had written for the Patty Duke show, had written a handful of episodes of Gentle Band and Mayberry RFD, which I realize that nobody under 38 knows anything that I'm talking about right now, but I have seen all of these shows because I used to watch them on like the uh, Nick at Night or whatever they were what called. What is going on at Rocky Mountain House that you can name all of these goddamn shows, Kyle, <laughs> that have been literally watched- intentionally forgotten in time? <laughs> I watched so many shows growing up. I loved it. I, I just wanted to know so much of the history of television and movies that it was like, I would literally watch anything. So yeah, I've seen all this stuff. Uh, Mayberry's pretty good. Um, all the other ones are not all that great, but you know, there we go. The only other movie that he wrote, though, was the 1973 film called Charlie and the Angel, which bizarrely has literally nothing to do with Charlie's Angels. I thought for sure when I saw like, Oh, it was a movie first or something like that? Literally nothing about it is the same. Well, but. how is Million Dollar Duck not an origin story for Scrooge? It's the same thing, right? <laughs> there you go. Maybe. Vincent McAviti was also a TV guy. He had directed episodes of The Untouchables, The Man from Uncle, Bonanza, Rawhide, Perry Mason, Mannix, the original Star Trek. Where's that grit? Why is there no grit in this film? Uh, Yeah, you tell me. Like, at least even the original Star Trek had more uh, dynamism than this does. Uh, Then in 1970, he jumps into directing movies, doing just a bunch of Disney live action films. This was his first. But uh, this is also how I found out. Did you know that there are three sequels to Herbie the Love Bug? 
I'm not that surprised. I had no idea. Anyways, he did two of those sequels. Uh, it's very then, Disney, by the way. Uh, he would then go back to directing television during the 80s, working on In the Heat of the Night, Magnum P.I., and then a connection to last week, 28 episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Hmm. So. so this guy liked grit. He liked that detective yeah, stuff. Uh, like that action stuff. Yeah, because he also, I think, did a few episodes of Columbo as well. So it's Come like... Come on, man. If they murdered the duck... We could have got something, right? They have Angela Lansbury come in. It's like, <laughs> I know how this happened. Um, it was the butler. There's really not much to talk about in regards to the making of this movie because literally nobody cares and nothing has been written about it in the last 50 years. <laughs> There's a secret book. I'm not right even there. joking. Yeah. There's like nothing written about this movie that I could find. Dean Jones and Sandy Duncan were nominated for Golden Globes. Uh, for this? But for Yep. But for as much as you, Dave, don't like the Oscars, the Globes are infinitely worse. So I don't care that they were nominated for Golden Globes. Well, I mean, I would never defend any film and television uh, award, but this proves that the Golden Globes are worse than the Oscars. Because <laughs> yeah. how could, what's the nomination process? You give them money and they nominate you. That's literally how it works. I will take anyone's money at any time. Dave, I mean, that's your p position right now until we're like nominated for a Golden Globe in five years. Like, Actually, it's like a pretty great award show. I <laughs> People look happy when they're there. So, <laughs> yeah, except so Matt Damon. Just drinking alcohol the entire night long. Except Matt Damon, who's like, you know, this is dumb. We've made a mistake, a terrible mistake. So, Dave, the first thing I want to just expand upon is that I knew this is kind of the moment I knew I was in trouble. I think her exact line, this wife character that they make Sandy Duncan play play who is literally the stupidest person that you could have ever written yeah. somehow doesn't realize she's putting the wrong ingredients into applesauce oh, yeah. it's yeah. like oh like yeah I'm just gonna put uh yeah curry powder put pepper and fucking, curry powder yeah. and and um, mustard or I don't know. mustard and all this other stuff into, into it it's like I oh, can't tell that this page has written has been moved she turns to her husband and says I, and I'm pretty sure this is the exact line can you taste this it tastes like ingredient and i was like whoa wh what <laughs> like i think that's supposed to be a joke number oh one my god number two that doesn't even make sense and three this went from script to screen with nobody saying like um maybe we can write a better line for this wife character to give to her husband well doesn't she follow that up with something like the marriage vow the marriage vows are to something and obey like the there's yeah. something very th uh, sick that follows after that. And so you could just see the scriptwriter is a bunch of you know, old white dudes smoking cigarettes. Like, you know what? My wife's a fucking idiot. And this is what she'd say. <laughs> oh, Take that's my really wife, funny. please. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bunch of assholes. <laughs> they have like suspenders on and they're just pulling them out with their thumbs. I and, made my, I, I got upset. I made my uh, recording peak. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, but uh, honestly, so that's a setup to say the scene then that really pushed me over the edge is like within the first, whatever, 10, 12 minutes, even past like the kind of awful thing with like the duck even eating Ugh. the applesauce in the first place. But it's the pool scene, oh, which I'm pretty sure they just asked that dog to attack a duck. First yeah. of all, so it's like another example of them not giving a shit about animals in the film. Which is like, it goes on and on and people Easily fall into the pool. And it's like, I know that you're trying to write slapstick here. When you see like a Chaplin do it or a Buster Keaton do right. this in the silent film, it's like, or even Jerry Lewis in like the Nutty Professor. It's like, there's some just set it up talent that's yeah. involved and set up and payoff that goes onto this. You're not just asking people to say, jump into a pool over and over and over again and have a dog bite it by the duck. Yeah, you don't just walk home and suddenly jump into like slowly crawl into a pool. Like it's yeah. not even done in a stuntman way. It's like you can tell the actors like I don't really want to do this, but uh if you think it's going to be funny, it. I wish you both would jump into a pool. And definitely we are learning that nobody cared about animals. And uh, that's like probably not at all. That's probably not the same duck. I'm pretty sure that oh, duck killed, killed that duck. They killed three cover. of them actually in this production. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that her thing? No. No, yeah. I have no idea. I, I'll tell you this thing: it it killed one career in Dean Jones. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's like it's fun that you're picking out specific moments. The whole thing from the is this a since drag? it opens out, it's just you know it's going to be bad. There's nothing. The kid, as soon as the kid comes out and he's annoying, you know, please, it's just five dollars, and you're just like, no, nope, this is awful. 
And the one thing that sticks out to me in, in a lot of these poorly written movies is, you know, you get this, uh, oh, our bills are due and, you know, we're living so poorly and yet they're in this mansion with, a, like, they got a beater of a car, but, you know, these set designs, you, it's just the whole thing just feels so poorly thought out. It is poorly thought out. Like you said, there's clearly no editor. There's no... There's no overseeing body. It feels like a bad episode of TV. Like it really does feel like it's set up like as a sitcom. Like it's framed yes. that way. It's shot that way. Uh, with maybe a slightly higher budget, but it's like everything is framed as if this was on a close set, lower than in front TV. of a live studio audience in the 1960s. Did you get to the scene with Richard Nixon in it? No, I skipped Richard Nixon. So Richard Nixon appears in this film, oh not God. actually him. It's the back of his head, but it's at, that is who it's supposed to be. It's like, give me that duck, you know, like, so they're <laughs> making like some sort of Is it part of the sequence where they're at the Federal Reserve and everybody's calling into that? On the, the phone, yes. That's yeah. exactly where I pressed up because as soon as all of the montage came in, that guy, I was like, this is not funny. I, I can't keep this up. And then he got another call. I'm like, I was oh. actually pretty impressed that they actually picked at least an Asian gentleman to be the Japanese guy. <laughs> I was like, I thought for sure this is going to go super sideways, well, like overt racism. You know so. what? They put a, a black scientist who uh, is part of the irradiation sequence, which was not mm -hmm. funny at all and didn't make any sense. Yeah. And now, you know, honestly, just before that point that you want to talk about is when I left the room. I, I siskled it because I was like, I... I can't. I can't do this. Yeah, I want to know, I wanna know what, what pushed him over the edge. I really want to know what scene it was. I was like, no, nah, I can't do this. It had to be. It was probably the pool scene. <laughs> probably. It's like, no, I, I have better things to do than this. All right. What's the next thing you want to talk about? Because uh... Did you see the scene where they go back to those two teenagers? So it's the son and the two teenagers in the shed and the, and the, and the duck is glowing green. No, I saw the chase. Which didn't make sense to me. So it's the setup to the chase, okay. basically. So again, it's like the the setup and punchlines I think are are tempted here. This is like nothing is actually funny about this movie. They want to go into their super little dune buggy with the duck in the sun. The duck stands on this battery thing and it glows green, and then they plug wires into it and it plays music and stuff like that. And it's supposed to be really funny. And then the dad walks in. Dean Jones walks in. It's like, what are you doing? It's like we're going to take your son and the duck out uh, on the road. It's like. You can't take that duck in that clap trap. You could kill it, right? Because he doesn't care about his kid. And that's the funny part. So wow. um, anyways, it's just a weird, awkward scene. I really, really want the dog about it because it's just, it's, you can hear in better hands, in a better director and writer, where like the jokes are there. But like, I think that's the biggest thing is like the setups are there for a joke. But then the punchlines just aren't funny. Like there's just no oomph there. Or if a joke is actually stated, it, there's it's like comedy is all about timing. And so if that starts to get off beat, then even if you're saying something funny, it's like, no. And this is coming. And maybe you don't find this element funny and that's fine. But I re always remember Martin Short talking about this in an interview that I watched from him. It's like you're kind of only as good as the last joke you told. Like if you told a real stinker, it takes two or three more before an audience is going to be willing to laugh with you again. Conversely, though, if you do something really great, the audience is actually can go with you, even if you tell kind of a bad joke right after it. The unfortunate thing is that this movie starts with like 50 bad jokes in a row. <laughs> so it's just like, no, like I, I'm not in this. Even if you said something funny now, I'm not even going to give you kudos because it's just going to feel like it was an accident rather than on purpose that you did this. You know, the sense of timing and visual representation is why... I also just got this intuition that if this had been a zany cartoon, yes. you could probably have made some of the humor visible. Whether it would be endearing is a whole other problem with writing, but mm -hmm. right. um, you, could, you could measure out the timing, you could make the physicality uh, fun to view as opposed to just a middle-aged dude crawling into a pool or, you yeah. know, like some of these cut sequences that are just cheap overlays or this obnoxious kid it's just so hard by to the care. way yeah. again we've talked about this too about how everyone looks older in yeah. the 70s dean jones is in his early 30s in this what? movie so he is not middle age <laughs> this is why we don't smoke indoors anymore <laughs> no, yeah his neighbor his neighbor like the old neighbor yeah in this film yeah. is 45 oh, like God. he was 45 years old and he died four years later at 49 wow. but it's like you look 70 years old. I was going to say 60s. Well, at least 60s. Yeah, 60s. yeah, he looks like he's in his 60s. It's like, you do not look like you're mid 40s. That whole thing too, like, and this is the cartoon part, you know, him sitting in the, in the back and then being grumpy and then the 
junk box cargos and they blow them with smoke. Yeah. That does not work in a live action film. Like we don't understand why that's important. We're not laughing yet that this guy's choking on exhaust because we don't even know he's a bad guy yet. I, I, I know that I reference him way too much, but this was something that Roger Ebert has said too about uh, getting hit in a cartoon versus in a live action thing. In a Bugs Bunny cartoon, an anvil can drop on your head and we'd laugh because like, oh, okay, because the you know birds are growing around your head and it's like we know that their cartoon characters are not actually hurt. But if you see an anvil drop on a real human head and like there's blood spurting out and everything, it's like, that's not funny. Like that's horrific now. So like that's the difference between animated comedy and like uh, in real life comedy is that you can kind of go way more broad in a, in a cartoon than you can in a live action because then people start being like, well, now you're not a human. Like what's going on? The only film that that was able to cross that divide is Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I think. Sure. Um, and you need Bob Hoskins. You need... Like Charlie Chaplin could have probably pulled it off. You need yeah. someone who can understand cartoon physicality. Jackie Chan does it, you know, in all his comedies. But, you know, Dean, whatever his fucking Dean, Dean Jones, Jones didn't have it. And nobody in this film had it. And is that director's fault? It's I blame Walt. It's Disney's fault. <laughs> Even though he was he, not alive. He died too yeah. early to have vetoed this piece of shit. Weirdly enough, I've never noticed this before. I don't know if this is just an affectation that he put on for this movie. But Dean Jones sounds like a poor man's Jimmy Stewart in this mm. movie. Like, just his cadence feels like Jimmy Stewart. Anyways, last scene that I wanted to talk about was, well, not the final final, because that's the courtroom scene, which is all sorts of dumb as well. But, okay, I just what? have to say it, because it <laughs> drove me so fucking nuts. That final stupid courtroom scene where he gets up and is like, no, my duck can lay golden eggs. Barking. And then the, the wife's like, He's, he's come to the realization that family is more important. Like, when? Like, when did this happen? Oh, when he's saving just, the kid off the ladder, stating. right? Isn't that the thing? When he's uh, like... Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I But so it seems it like it's like part. in relation to her, to him, like, standing up and being like, my duck can lay golden eggs. Anyways, Stupid. dumb. I hated it. Stupid. Uh, the scene I actually wanted to talk about was the chase scene itself, which, again, is trying to be zany and over the top. And it reminded me of something that did it well. And I don't know if you're familiar with the movie. It's a mad, 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 mad world. So late 60s, basically had every comedian in it of the time is in that movie, at least even as a as a cameo for like a few seconds. But essentially, it's the whole movie is a chase sequence. It was the Fury Road before Fury Road. Um, and uh, there you have it. Like they're just going like balls to the wall, right? Jalopies and huge trucks and and, and sports cars and a plane is driving like in. And, like, so yeah. like everything is coming in. It's like it's madcap and it's over the top, but everything works because you have really great comedians who are like making it work. But it really does feel like oh my gosh, like this is a chase that's going on. And this it is like the most safe chase sequence <laughs> I may have ever seen. Again, it feels like. We're on the back lot and we're only going to have two cars. They're going to chase on this highway and freeway. Uh, and so there's no danger involved in that. And then there's no really funny. And don't get me started on the wife being, again, written to be the dumbest person in the room. Can you lower that bucket down? I don't know what lever to use. And she's just like grabbing random levers and throwing them around. It was aggravating, Dave. It was super aggravating. I don't know. I don't have much else to say. It's hard. Okay. You know, it's not even about trying to be reserved. It's just, I don't want to give, I don't want to give this thing more any this more time and to the detriment potentially of our podcast episode this week, but we're going to get to a point where all of a sudden we're going to start justifying pieces of this thing. And uh, like, we're already doing it. It's like, it could have been funnier if, and then somebody might think, well, maybe I'll give it a try because I might find that great. It's like, no, just don't, <laughs> just don't, just don't. You know, there's just a part don't. of me that must wonder if there's anyone at Disney now who looks at like weekly, monthly download stats and just knows like, oh, Million Dollar Duck is doing well in Canada. We've had uh, three streams of this movie. I, I can't believe it. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, it's up for an adaptation. Uh. They rush an adaptation into it. And it's because of us talking about Million Dollar Duck. Okay, here's the last thing that I just want to talk about. It has nothing to do with the movie. This is the quote that I have referenced, I think, the last two weeks and have never actually read. It's the one that I was going to read on Willy Wonka. And then because I didn't budget my time and had to run out of that recording, uh, I didn't read. So Roger Ebert mentioned this during his Willy Wonka review, which he loved, gave it four out of four stars. Take that out of the equation right now. But this is what he wrote about, in general, children's cinema or movies made for kids. 
9 out of 10 children's movies are stupid, witless, and display contempt for their audiences. And that's why kids hate them. Is that all parents want from kids' movies? That they not have anything bad in them? Shouldn't they have something good in them? Some life, imagination, fantasy, inventiveness, something to tickle the imagination? If a movie isn't going to do your kids any good, why let them watch it? If the fates of the children seem a little... Oh, and this is what he goes on about how the kids dying in, in Willy Wonka. So it's like, if the fates of those kids seem a little gruesome to you, reflect that all great children's tales are a little gruesome. From the Brothers Grimm to Alice in Wonderland to Snow White and certainly not excluding Mother Goose. Kids are not sugar and spice, not very often, and they appreciate the poetic justice when a bad kid gets what's coming to him. Does that mean you want me to push you down the stairs? And I just bring that up specifically that first half that I read, which is like, I think what we're reacting against. It's like, it's not even just that this is a bad movie. It's insulting to think that this is good entertainment for kids because I think kids deserve better. And I, you are the parent in this conversation. I am sure you've had countless times where it's like, this is garbage that, the, that my kid is watching. And so you appreciate when the good stuff actually comes around. And so I just don't know if you have anything else to add to that. I mean, not specific for this film, but to your point, there are things on streaming services that Emerson, my son, is not allowed to watch and is not necessarily about violence or adult themes or anything like that. There are, to Ebert's point, so uh, so many projects and so much content that have this, yeah, this presumption of either mm -hmm. saddling or controlling or just poor representation. And they're sure. offensive to me and not to many other parents because to me, they play into these tropes, into, you know, whatever, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, all this kind of weird shit that's uh, programming. Now I'm going to start sounding a little socialist, but you know, there's a lot of programming that goes on in, in children's entertainment. Disney's notorious for this because they want the sugar and spice for everything. So never mind their shitty adaptations today where everything's got to be live action. They've controlled and bought rights to all these stories. I mean, we talked about Mary Poppins when we were doing uh, bed knobs. Yeah. That tension to create the FBI uh, controlled American dream, this presumption that everything turns out okay, uh, is a dangerous one to install. You must be on the FBI watch list by, by this now. Point. Yeah. If, if I did anything, they gave a shit about, but they're just like, eh. Yeah. You know, when I watch movies like this, I don't even think about whether it's for kids, I just think it's a piece of shit. I, so I'm watching this and when you bring it up, I, I think, yeah, maybe this is supposed to be a kid's movie, but I don't see how it could be. You know, the main character is an old man, apparently in his 30s, yeah. but uh, trying to make it rich on gold. They talk about having to, you know, fighting the Federal Reserve Bank of, of America. Th these are not conceptual things that are designed yeah, for know. children. These are not kids. And uh, by the way, too, talking about Hitler, again, like Nazis from last week, the kids, the teenagers yelled that at them as they were taking the duck away uh, from the doom buggy sequence I talked about. It's like, you Hitlers, that's what they actually say in this film. I'm like, what, 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 what is going on? <laughs> what is happening? That's the, you know, and if they, I don't know, again, if this, to be, uh, to rewrite history, if that had been a cartoon and we still wanted to do the Federal Reserve and we still want to do... Oh God, well, maybe not Hitler, because <laughs> that that is that has a lot of context to understand that level of evil. I think every children's movie should have Nazis in it <laughs> at this point. Why not? But if we have like an evil banker, you know, and he's got a monocle, yeah. whatever, he looks like angry Monopoly man, then I think kids will understand it at some level that I don't need to know what a Federal Reserve Bank does, and I don't need, I need to understand gold's relationship to the American currency. Like, who cares? Like, who, it's, it's, it's like they're arguing with the gold standard in this movie. It's like, no no adult cares about that say, now. <laughs> even the adults are just like, I don't even know how gold works. Why does it cost money? Who gives a shit? If you do a caricature, even in a live action film, if you just dumbed it down in certain spots and undumbed it in others... You know, there might have been a story here, but who gives a shit? It's it's uh, an abomination, and uh, mm -hmm. I don't think it's made for kids. And if it were intended that way, you know, A, there's a reason why it failed, and B, those people should feel ashamed uh, because they failed as human beings. We're done here. Well, the machine has told us that we have to wrap this up. Um, I just will point out there is no, we usually do like the critics at the time, what they thought. I don't think Pauline Kale even went and saw this movie because I could find no record of her writing about it. And that's good for her because yeah. she probably knew. It's like, nah, nah, I don't need to. Million dollar what? No. Roger Ebert said, 
Walt Disney's Million Dollar Duck is one of the most profoundly stupid movies I've ever seen. That's what his <laughs> review was. Uh, that's his entire review. No. Cisco that left. Is what, Cisco left. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's what Dave and I thought about this movie. We would love to know what you think if you've actually seen this. You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterbox page, letterbox.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So, Dave, what's your rating for Million Dollar Duck? So I think we should break a rule, and it should be a zero. Uh, okay. And I know we don't do, is it integers that go into the negatives? But uh, right. uh, this well, is easily the this. worst movie we've reviewed. Maybe in, we can, yeah. the, the, the machine has just whispered into my ear. I can't believe I was so quiet. And so that going forward, we can give it a zero. It's just that, unfortunately, if we both give it a zero... We're going to have to do a 0.5 on Letterboxd. You still have to give it some sort of rating. So for me, I know this is going to blow your socks off. I'm giving it a 3.5. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's punching their phones. So come on. Uh, so this is what I'm going to do. Like initially, because I thought the lowest rating, you know, was 0.5. I was like, okay, I'm going to give it like just a 0.5 because again, I loved the, the, the outfits that, that Sandy <laughs> Duncan is wearing. But I, if you get to give a zero, uh -huh. I am going to give this movie a 0.5. I'm going to give it a 0.5. You give it a zero. That is going to average to 0.25, which does mean is lowest rated film we have watched in this year, 1971. So entering our list at the number 14 position is Million Dollar Duck. I think a good compromise is we just don't score this on Letterbox, and we disavow not, uh, not available. Yeah, a. <laughs> we disavow any relationship. You know, just save what little dignity we have. And uh -huh. uh, oh, I hated this thing. Well, let's find out what we're going to watch next week, Dave. It has to be better, right? It has to be because if it's worse than this, can I? Can boy, nineteen seventy one is going to be a long. It's going to be a long road to the end of 1971. I mean, I know my scores have already reflected this, but this is a grind, dude. There's dude. very little, there's very little here that's been enjoyable. It's starting to burn me out. Give me, give me something. Okay, well, give me some good news, please. Let me push this button. Huh. I, I don't know what this movie is, so I don't know what to think. It's Billy Jack. We're going to watch Billy Jack oh, no. next week. I don't know either. It doesn't sound good. Yeah. It sounds like a Western to me, but mm. I have no idea if that's true. <sighs> All right. Uh, well, Dave, um, at the very least, could you put the captain hat like in front of your crotchal area? Because no. that would be no. beneficial. At this point, I'm just going to let it, let it all out. I think I'm going to go watch Million Dollar Duck again. I should let you know that I left a dually in the toilet.